0: Hey believers and non-believers, I hope everyone is safe and healthy out there. Are you looking for more spooky podcasts to listen to while sheltering at home? But maybe you're looking for something a bit more lighthearted because the world is dark enough right now as it is, then you should definitely check out Guide to the Unknown. It's a comedy podcast about horror, hosted by siblings Kristen Anderson and Will Rogers. They discuss spooky pop culture, urban legends, and the paranormal while keeping it cozy and light, because sometimes that's just what you need. Their dynamic is really sweet, and it feels like you're hanging out with your friends. One of my personal favorite episodes is Haunted Disney, where they talk about all of the ghosts that might be inhabiting Disneyland. New episodes are out every Friday on all major podcasting apps, and the episodes are also recorded live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on youtube.com slash talkbomb. But if you miss it, you can catch it on Friday along with the podcast release. Kristen and Will are also going to be sharing their own spooky experiences for Stories with Sapphire, so you definitely don't want to miss that. Go to gttupod.com for more information and follow at gttupod on social media. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome to the first season of my new show, where I'll be sharing a multicultural perspective on the supernatural. If after the show you feel compelled to share a story, need paranormal advice, or want to share interesting paranormal news, send an email to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. This is an independently run podcast. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to see the different tiers and perks, such as a tarot reading from me. We're all familiar with the image, a woman in all white with long hair covering her face. It's common in movies and ghost stories, but why? In this week's episode, I'll be sharing stories from those who have encountered a woman in white and lived to tell the tale. Chapter 1. She Wants My Baby The following story was submitted by Amy in the Philippines. She's had various paranormal experiences throughout her life, but this one has followed her for a very long time. Back when I was in 5th grade, when I was 12 years old, I used to go to this school in the Philippines, Baguio Central School. There was a rumor that the school was built on top of a cemetery and they never relocated the bodies. There was this house below the small hill that our school was built on. Supposedly, it was the home of the caretaker who used to watch the graveyard. He had passed away due to old age, and his wife committed suicide because she couldn't have kids. I was moving to Guam, so my friends and I decided to explore that house before I left. We climbed down the small hill towards the old house. The house wasn't really that big. It looked more like a small cottage made with wooden planks and coated with white paint. The roof was made of tin and it just laid on top of the structure. When we got to the door, my friends all tried to open it, but with no luck. I was the last one to try. I grabbed the door and was nearly dragged inside the house as the door opened quickly. I turned to my friends, only to see them running back up the hill screaming. I let go of the door and ran after them. I asked them why they just left me when I was able to open the door for us, and they told me that they saw a lady with long ginger-colored hair and a long white evening gown beckoning me to come inside the house. I didn't see her at the time, but then I left the Philippines for Guam. It was the week before my birthday when I saw the lady for the first time. She looked exactly how my friends described her, but her throat was slit and her neck was overflowing with blood. Since then, every week before my birthday, she always showed up. I wasn't sure what she wanted until I turned 16 the woman spoke to me and told me that all she ever wanted was to have a daughter of her own to raise, and she wanted me to fill that role. I just ignored her. Then, I gave birth to my daughter two years ago. But she does this weird thing where she doesn't seem like she's paying attention to me when I'm talking to her. She'd always be looking behind me. And she'd have these seemingly incoherent conversations with nobody, where she'd be babbling on for hours. Ever since I had my daughter, that lady stopped showing herself to me. But I don't think that means she's gone. I think she's trying to mother my daughter. But I have yet to find out, since my daughter doesn't speak in full sentences yet. I wonder if she'll remember those conversations as she gets older, and I wonder if that woman will still be around. The woman that Amy encountered follows the trope of the lady in white with a tragic backstory. This woman was never able to have a daughter of her own and is now looking to fill that void in her afterlife. We see this particular theme a lot with other female ghosts. La Llorona regrets killing her sons and spends eternity searching for them. Wewe Gombel's husband left her because she was barren and now spends her afterlife kidnapping children. Ghost stories and urban legends act as cautionary tales, Don't follow in their footsteps or else you'll have the same fate. So what do these stories tell us about our expectations of women? Women are nothing without children. As someone who has not fully decided whether or not I want to have children, I definitely feel this societal pressure every day. There's no right time to have them, so have them before you regret it, they say. I understand that many women do want to be mothers, and if the woman that appeared to Amy was the wife of the caretaker, she wanted to be a mother so badly that she couldn't bear the pain of living anymore. Our society doesn't celebrate alternative ways of conceiving or parenting as much as we do those who get pregnant naturally. Think of the last time you went to a baby shower and the last time you went to an adoption party. It seems to me that it took passing on for this spirit to understand that you don't need to carry a child for nine months for it to be yours. You can still be a mother figure to someone. Unfortunately for Amy and her daughter, they became the target of that affection. Chapter 2. It was you all along.
1: I'm Sherry Bissell, and I live in Hudson, Ohio,
0: Supernatural experiences have been following Sherry since her teenage years, but the following story is the one that sticks out as the most significant and meaningful.
1: It was a very hot summer. It was 1983. I think it's one of the hottest summers on record. And it was it was like over 100 degrees for like two months. We were living in Charleston, West Virginia in a little house with no air conditioning. And it was a very unpleasant summer. And one night in June, it was so hot and we both, my husband and I both had to work the next day and we couldn't sleep. We had a house guest, which is an added thing that you'll I'll, you'll understand later. Um, when you can't sleep, you know how you flop from your back to your front and your back to your front. I know I wasn't sleeping because I was thinking, oh, And I kept looking at the clock like, oh, now, great. Now I'm only going to get three hours of sleep. Oh, great. Now I'm only going to get two hours of sleep. You know, like, I just could It was terrible. And so I'm on my stomach trying to sleep and then seriously mad, you know, I'm not sleeping. And I slipped my back and there's a woman standing over me. She wasn't really floating. She was standing over me. And her face was, you know, like two inches from my face. And she had a look on her face like she was studying me. And I just screamed. It was, she was there. I mean, it was so real and I was not sleeping. And my husband is a no-nonsense guy. Normally, I can imagine him saying, you know, Shut up. Go back to sleep. But he could see that I was genuinely afraid. So we got up. We watched TV for a while. You know, then he said, are you feeling better? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. OK, let's try to sleep. And so we did. And we turned the television off and, and you know, turned the lights back off. But then the minute, the minute we turned the TV off, we hear our house screaming, get out of my room, get out of my room. So (laughs) I said, you better please go check that out. Please don't make me go. And so he went went in and and she was real confused. She said, there was a woman here. I don't, uh, get her out of here, get her out of here. And and when we got up the next morning, we said, are you okay? Did you sleep, you know, after that? And she said, what are you talking about? And Brian said, well, I went in. You were, you were upset. You were saying, get out of my room. And she said, "I," said, "I, I must have been talking in my sleep. She said, I don't remember that at all. It stuck with me, and it became the ghost story that I would tell my uh, Lauren and her friends, you know, around a campfire.
0: Lauren is Sherry's daughter.
1: Tell us the story about the ghost, and um, I would always tell it. And then when Lauren was in college and just about ready to – I think she was probably twenty, twenty-one, and she was about ready to graduate – we were at the dinner with one of her friends from grade school. And she said, Oh, tell me that story again, Mrs. Passell. And I said, Oh, Ginger, you've heard this story so many times. And she said, No, please, like, tell me, tell me. So I told her, she said, What did she look like? And I said, I said, Oh, well, I can see her just as plain as today. I can. It's like it was yesterday. She was very fair, and very fine boned and and kind of pointy features. And I said, she looked like and then it. I just gasped and I thought, oh my God, she looked like Lauren. It was Lauren. But I didn't realize it until Lauren grew up. When she was a little girl, it, you know, she didn't exactly look like that. But when I picture her now, it was Lauren. I never realized until that, I told her that story that night, know, And you know, Sylvia Brown says that our spirits, though, look like we're 20 or 21 years old anyway i'm positive that my daughter came to see me at all okay here's the icing on the cake that was june of 83 and lauren was born in um march of 84 so that's pretty much not it was pretty much nine months to the day that this happened to me and and lauren i think lauren found it very comforting like we have a very close bond I think, I don't want to say closer than most mo- mothers and daughters. I don't know what, you know, what they experienced. But it just seems like that it's unusually close to me. And so she, Lauren was like, yeah, of course I did. To, to Lauren, it just made so much sense. I think it kind of confirmed what I always believed because I, I, I believe that energy doesn't die and our souls don't die and they're out there somewhere and if in trying to understand where they are or what has, actually is happening is just too exhausting for me so I've always kind of believed that so that was real extra cool to thinking like oh that's what I've always believed is true.
0: This was not the only time that Sherry had been visited by a mysterious woman.
1: This was probably, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of one year, like 1993. Uh, we live in Cleveland, Ohio, and my a lot of our family lives in Western Pennsylvania. So we visited my husband Brian's grandmother a lot. And when Lauren was a little girl, we would just take her over like on a, for Sunday dinner or, or whatever. And it was going to be Memorial Day weekend, and we were going to go stay for the weekend, and the night before we were going to leave the night before Memorial Day, I had this the the most real dream I've ever had in my life, and I, a woman came to me, and I couldn't see her face, but she was I could feel her, I could feel her arms around me, it, it was I, I could see, actually feel the touch, and she was saying to me, "Please don't cry, please don't cry, it's okay. I have to go." but you're going to be okay. Everybody's going to be okay. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. And it was one of those dreams that you have right before you wake up in the morning because I had I gotten up at maybe 5.30 and looked at the clock and thought, I'm not getting up now. I'm going back to sleep. And that's when I had the dream. And um, I, I woke up and my pillow was sobbing wet. I was crying, actually crying. And Brian's like, what is wrong with you? And I said, Oh, I, and I told them all about the dream. I said, that was really freaky. That was so freaky. that i It was like it really happened. And so, okay, we get in the car to go over to Brian's grandmother's house, and we find her dead on the bathroom floor. And she had been brushing her teeth. She had gotten up in the morning and brushed her So it would have been about the time I was dreaming that she was had died. When
0: Sherry had woken from her dream, she told her husband Brian about it, but neither of them assigned any meaning to it at the time.
1: Neither of us associated it with anything. We didn't know that she had died. I don't know. It's like, not that she didn't like her, but I don't think I was her favorite person in the family. And I I always think, why didn't you come to me? (laughs) But Lauren said, you're like one of those people that... You are, you, mu- you. must be cool with it. Things happen to you so much that maybe the rest of us wouldn't have recognized her. Or, I don't know.
0: Both times Sherry was visited by a strange woman at night, she didn't recognize who they were in the moment. The meaning came after. Which makes me wonder, if these events had played out differently, would they still have been as unbelievable? If Lauren's spirit appeared to Sherry when Lauren was an adult... Sherry could write it off as a dream. Without attaching any meaning, Sherry was able to recall the events from a purely objective standpoint, which also makes me wonder, have I had any dreams or strange occurrences that made no sense at the time, but might in the future?
1: That's why I like these stories, because I have witnesses for these. (laughs) Two of my best stories, I have validation.
0: Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel, and also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So, do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Chapter 3, The Horror at the Great Star Theater.
2: Well, I grew up on ghost stories, so it's always kind of been on my radar.
0: This is Ying from Berkeley, California. She produces paranormal investigation documentaries.
2: They, you know, we were taking a video production class, and they said, you know, it was about October when we had to make our proposals. So I thought, why don't we start making a video and follow some local paranormal investigators? and see what happens, and it turned out so well that we've just continued since then. So the whole philosophy behind our documentary series was, we're just filmmakers. We're not going to, you know, promote ourselves as ghost hunters. We're not the ghost hunters. We're documenting them. And we did not expect to be in front of the camera, but then things started to happen to us, the crew. The following
0: is what Ying considers her most profound paranormal story. Buckle up, because it is a wild ride.
2: And that actually um, is in our video series, and it's called The Haunted Bay, because it's based in the Bay Area. And so I went to a theater called the Great Star Theater in Chinatown, San Francisco, and I was not going there to film anything. I was going there to usher for a show, because my friend was in a musical. And um, I went there you know, in the afternoon, went down to the women's bathroom, and I had this weird feeling come over me that there was a female spirit in the bathroom with me. And I just had the strangest feeling that she was sitting in front of this vanity mirror. You know the, you know how those old fashioned vanities are? There's like a desk table with a mirror and a chair. I felt weirdly drawn to that. And I sat down, put my purse on the table, and just stared at myself in the mirror, which I don't usually do. And it was, oh, it was weird. <laughs> So I just kind of sat there and stared at myself. And I had an image that it was an Asian woman with long hair. And so, which sounds pretty cliche, but that's what I saw in my head, not with my eyes, but in my head. So I went upstairs and I talked to the bartender and I asked her, you know, I did not tell her what I saw in my head specifically. I just asked her, do you have ghost stories in this theater? And she said, yeah, my friend was here yesterday and she came up from the bathroom and said there's a female ghost down in the bathroom so I asked if we could set up a paranormal investigation and um she, yeah and so I talked to the manager he's not there anymore and theater's closed now but when he was there he said yes so you know, I went home you know started you know uh, coordinating things and at home I started to get more images in my head and I saw her in like almost grainy black and white film in my head. She was an Asian woman. She was tall with long hair, wearing a white gown, that she had gone mad. And I had a feeling that something horrible had happened to her. She um was probably raped and that maybe she was trafficked. And that I had a feeling that suicide may have been what caused her death. It was mostly just feelings and images of her being gone, going mad, basically. I set up first the Alameda Paranormal Researchers um, to come into the theater. And I made sure not to tell them what I had felt or seen in my head. And so we get there and um, at one point, one of the investigators is on the stage and me and someone else are in the, in the, in the backstage area and we hear him kind of say, oh shit. And so we run towards the front of the stage and we ask him what. And he said, I just saw like this, this woman just float across the doorway because there's a lobby area between the auditorium. Um, you have to leave the auditorium, cross the hallway in the lobby and go down to the women's bathroom. So that doorway, he saw a, and what he described was a woman in white. And he even was embarrassed to say that because that's like, you know, really cliche, but he saw the same thing that I had seen in my head. And so that seemed to be pretty, you know, like a confirmation. And then later we brought in a um, psychic medium and her name is June Hearn. And we didn't tell her anything either. And we brought her around. she. She felt several ghosts, but we brought her down to the women's bathroom and she's like, wow, there's a woman crying here and she's really, really suffering and she's crying for her mother. And I feel like there was a suicide. And then <laughs> it, it does, the story doesn't end. We wrapped up our filming and then we actually showed that in the theater itself because the director of photography on our team, he is an actual feature film filmmaker and he has a kind of a Filipino vampire movie called Vampiraya and so we set it up so that he would show his movie at the theater and before that we showed The Haunted Bay. So the theater was filled, we showed our video and as you know when people watched this video some people actually came up to me afterwards and said we didn't know you were going to show this but things were happening to us. One woman said that she felt like something was stabbing her in the back. Um, and some some other woman who didn't know this first woman also said she felt a stabbing feeling in her back as she's going down the stairs. As we're standing at the end of our showing, we're all standing on stage for a Q and A and suddenly the investigator, because there's a balcony, the investigator shouts, somebody just walked across the balcony upstairs while the audience is down listening to us speak. So the night of the screening, it seemed things were happening to people. And so that was pretty, you know, <laughs> kind of like astonishing event for us. And then after that, well, we basically thought, okay, well, that was the end, you know, that's, we, we showed our, we filmed there, we showed it. But um, I was home. This was maybe two weeks after the screening. I was home, I was sitting at my living, in my dining room um, table rather, and I was just sitting there at night meditating, and my back behind me is the doorway to my kitchen. So I'm sitting there meditating, and I'm not thinking about anything paranormal, I'm thinking about mundane life problems, and suddenly I get this feeling that the woman from the theater walked right through the doorway and was standing behind me. And all of the hair on the back of my neck and, you know, stood up and I jumped up and I quickly ran to the living room couch and I called the, my director of photography. I'm like, oh my God, I think she's here. I think she followed me. And he says to me, do you think it's all in your head? And I said, well, uh, I don't know. I just know I feel this very strongly right now. And as I'm sitting on my living room couch, I feel her walking towards me and reaching out to touch me and i shrink back and i'm and i'm basically saying out loud you can't be here you can't be here and this basically went on for about 2 hours from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. i felt she was there in my in my place and again this is not something i'm seeing with my eyes it's it's all in my mind's eye and, and feeling so After she was gone, I I was like, you know, the next day, I was like, I don't know, maybe it was all in my head. But then I get this text from a friend of mine, and she didn't know what I had gone through the night before. I didn't tell her anything. And she said, wow, last night, you know, in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m. or so, she went to the bathroom. And she says, while I was in the bathroom, I felt like that female ghost was in my bathroom. And she said, then I ran to bed. And I and I covered my face with a blanket and I looked back up and I swore I turned the bathroom light off and it was on again. And so I literally dropped the phone when I saw her text message, because I was about to dismiss it as, OK, maybe I was just tripping. I was just imagining things. But the timeline was like, wait a minute, she left my place about 1 a.m. And then about an hour or so later, she's at my friend's house. So, and then it doesn't end there. Um, I try to find ways to raise money for our videos because I don't, you know, actually make any money from these. So I organized a ghost tour of several locations in, near the Chinatown area in San Francisco, and I included the Great Star Theater. I'm organizing this ghost tour. And as part of the ghost tour, I'm going to talk about the history. Um, and so I researched the history of Chinatown in San Francisco back in the 1800s. And I got this book called The Barbary Coast, which is, you know, what this area of San Francisco used to be called. It's like a huge red light district back in the day. It was called The Barbary Coast, and I read it, and there was a section about Chinatown, and it talks about the Chinatown sex slaves. And it mentions that girls as young as 12 were trafficked from China to be sex slaves in Chinatown back in the day. And um, when they were so abused to the point where they were physically too ill or mentally too ill to continue. They would be taken to what was called the hospital, but it wasn't really a hospital. It was basically there was an alley, and off of the alley were these doors, and the women would be taken through these doors into rooms where they would be left on a plank with a rice mat to cover themselves, and I think a bowl of water, a bowl of rice, and an oil lamp, and they would be locked in there until they died. And so this book, which was written in the 1920s, said that one of the alleys is called Cooper Alley. So I, you know, go on research. I'm like, wonder where Cooper Alley is, if it still even exists in San Francisco. And so I look up Cooper Alley and I do a Google street view and I find Cooper Alley and I rotate the image and it's right across the street from the Great Star Theater. I was really shocked when i saw that what are the odds of me finding this right what's interesting is when the medium went there we went down to the basement and she said i feel like there was a tunnel here before where the people were smuggled through or something there isn't anything now we didn't find anything but that's like right across the street from that alley anyway so how i find that out it's shocking and then I start taking tours through. And this is scary for me even, because first, you know, the spirit may have followed me home. So I have to go into this theater by myself. The manager's very generous. He let me just have access to it without him being there. So I had to turn off the lights and close the doors before I brought the guests in. And the first time I, first or second time, I can't remember which tour, I brought people in. Um One guy said that he was, um shoved in the auditorium and for some reason we didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to that we were like oh yeah whatever some other people said they thought they saw figures like shadow figures one woman said she saw a woman and that woman in a corner and anyway we end the tour and then later I'm told by that guy who was shoved he said you know after that ghost tour my dog will not come near me my dog is usually very um You know, happy to see me and he will not, he'll cower in fear in his cage. And finally, the wife, his wife came along on the tour too, basically said, whoever is in here who followed us, get out. You are not allowed to be here. And then after that, apparently the dog went back to normal. And then another, a friend of mine, a woman, she said that when she went home after taking my tour, that in the middle of the night, this is the same woman who felt the ghost in her bathroom too, but she also came on a tour, a ghost tour. She said something was knocking on the wall and scratching on the wall above her head after taking my ghost tour. So, yeah, things were getting a little weird. And then it gets weirder.
0: No joke, our call cut out at that point. This actually happens a lot when I have people telling me their
2: stories timing um i take another tour in and this time there were two people leading the tour it was me and my cameraman cody and june ahern the psychic medium who we filmed she came on the tour with her friend i'll just call her k i don't know if she wants her real name to me know i'll call her k and k is this middle-aged white lady and so I bring a group into the auditorium, and Cody brings another group, June, her friend Kay, and a couple of other people down to the women's bathroom. While I'm in the auditorium, we all hear someone speak or, or a woman, like, yelling Chinese. Sounds like a southern dialect, like Cantonese or something related to Cantonese in the lobby. And we all turn our heads, and I show them my flashlight there, and there was nobody there. And I thought, okay, well, maybe someone out in the street yelling in Chinese that bounced into the room, right? Because I know nobody in our group can speak Chinese except me. And so suddenly, I, I, I one person from downstairs in the women's bathroom comes to me, and she's like, Kay is really upset. And I look outside, and June is trying to comfort her. And apparently, while they were down in the woman's bathroom, Kay runs out of the bathroom and starts speaking like something that sounds like Chinese. And this is a white middle-aged lady who's never taken Chinese class before. She's saying something that sounds like Chinese. My cameraman recorded it, actually, her audio. So she said she felt like a spirit was trying to jump into her body, and she had to run out of the woman's bathroom and get it out of her. And that was the time when she was saying something that sounded like Chinese, and I've been listening to it, and it doesn't even sound like modern-day Cantonese. It sounds like either some other dialect from some small town or something. It sounds like southern coastal dialect to me or some dialect from a long time ago. Somewhere around that time, June Ahern, the psychic medium who's been doing this for like decades and was really confident around ghosts, something slaps her across the head and punches her between the shoulder blades. The energy in this place is getting stronger and stronger to the point where people are being touched, people are being, I don't know, maybe what you call possessed or whatever. So it got to the point where I was like, I don't even know if it's safe for me to bring people in here because I did not count on, I did not expect that. It ends there. Yeah, the theater closed. I was not not able to bring any more tours through there. And it's still closed. You know, I started out in quotes, believing in ghosts. And what I mean by in quotes is, I thought it was fun and cool, but there's some deep inside I was still unsure. But this, along with some other things that have happened in our other, you know, film shoots, definitely made me think, "Oh my God, this this is real." For me personally, that was probably the most intense experience I had. Other people have had more intense experience on other investigations. This is interesting because it seems like it's almost like they choose who they want to reach out to.
0: This spirit seems incredibly lonely and lost. We are often so caught up in the terrifying elements of these types of tales that we forget that they were once living people too. And sometimes all these spirits want is for someone to acknowledge them. This spirit followed people home, tried to communicate through possession and even physically attacked. She is clearly angry and confused. But I believe that she chose Ying. She wanted Ying to know her story so that she could share it. And in doing so, maybe she wouldn't be so alone anymore. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to help boost the show's visibility. And head to patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to see the perks you'll receive by supporting the show. Have you ever encountered a woman in white? Let me know at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salama and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. She Wants My Baby was written by Amy. Special thanks to my guests, Sherry Passell and Ying. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com.